So today I've given the message title, Are You Satisfied? And I was praying for this church, the church this week, our church, Wednesday morning. And I was becoming quite earnest in my prayers. Earnest for a future work, a future glory that I have this anticipation for. And then the Lord reminded me of a of, uh, picture that I saw back in August of him pulling roots. He was pulling the roots from beneath the church. It was this picture. And he was dusting off the dirt, preparing for a new planting. And he began to remind me of that, saying, we're not done this season yet. Although I was eager for the next, and it's okay to pray for the next, he still wanted me to intercede, because there's still things in our lives that he's wanting to root out in preparation for the new planting. He's preparing us to be a people who move as one, who flow as one in his spirit. And he wants us to be a people who can carry and sustain a move of God. And so it requires maturity. Our souls need cleansing. They need healing. And I began to dream, and maybe I'm having heavenly dreams, but I began to dream of a people where insecurities no longer rule because we've all died to our pride. I began to dream of a people where wounds are healed in the presence and love and grace of the Father. And so that when the move of God begins to happen, our wounds don't rise to the surface, our dysfunction doesn't rise to the surface and derail the body of Christ. It doesn't steal away our energy from the move of God. I began to dream of a people so humble, so devoted to the mission of Christ that we walked in unity, maturity, emotional and spiritual health, and not that we're ever going to be a perfect people. We are on the journey of sanctification, but he wants his wind to blow through this region. And he wants us to be a people ready to carry the anointing for the end time harvest. He's calling us into this greater depth of purity, just as James was calling the people in that day. He's preparing us, he's humbling us, he's maturing us, so that our selfish ambition, our soulish pursuits, will not derail us in the days to come. Oh, maybe. Lord, we stand under your grace and under your healing today. There is even a, just a healing atmosphere going on in worship, and Lord, we just receive it. Whatever you're doing here today, we say our hearts are open to you. We want to receive from you. So open your Bibles to James chapter 3. We're going to cover five verses today. Verses 13 to 18. James 3, 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show you his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, 
and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It is a good word. So James is calling us into this greater depth of purity than our soul. And today we're going to talk about three points. I don't very often come up with three points. I probably fail preaching 101 because I never have three points. But today, today we have three points. The virtue of meekness, the ruins of jealousy and selfish ambition, and the fruit of wisdom. So we're going to start with the virtue of meekness. Who is wise and understanding among you? James is speaking to people who would consider themselves wise. They would consider them full of understanding, full of knowledge. He's saying if this is who you really are, then show it by the works done in the meekness of wisdom. And in chapter 1, we just spent one sentence describing meekness. So we're going to go into it a little bit more today, but it's defined as gentleness and humility. And I've been thinking, as you see injustice going on around the world, what kind of leader would you want to fight injustice? What would be your first thought? What kind of character would you want leaders to possess? Would we want bold and zealous leaders, warriors, activists, people who aren't afraid to get in another person's face? We think these are the characteristics that are going to accomplish what we want to have accomplished. I don't know about you, but I don't know if gentleness would be the first character trait that I would want to say. This is who I want in a leader who's going to fight injustice, gentleness, meekness. How can gentleness accomplish anything? And some of those other character traits of boldness and an activist, God can actually call those traits into being in leaders, but they must be tempered with meekness. When I was doing some study this week, uh, one of the commentaries I read talked about the Greeks in that day. They didn't see any value for meekness. It says, meekness was hardly a virtue to be sought after in the minds of most Greeks. It suggested a servile, ignoble debasement. Yet Jesus, he gave value to, the to meekness. What others would have disdained, he gave value. He actually commands a blessing upon meekness. Matthew 5, 5 says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Another quote from my study, this Christian meekness involves a healthy understanding of our own unworthiness before God and a corresponding humility and lack of pride in our dealings with our fellow men. So meekness is the complete opposite of arrogance, complete opposite of haughtiness. Meekness is a characteristic that comes from deep trust in the Father. If you're meek, it doesn't mean that you're a coward. It doesn't mean that you're passive. Meekness is actually strength under control. It's like the picture of the horse. A strong, self-willed horse comes into, under obedience to the bit and the bridle. 
You see, the goal of meekness is not to dominate or control others, it's to serve others. That's the goal of meekness. And it means that you won't fight with a zeal that is birthed from a place of unbelief in God. One who's meek will actually partner with God in his righteousness, in his desire for righteousness in the land. And your works will come from this place of peace, a place of trust, knowing that God has not stepped off the throne. You know that he's going to vindicate. And so you can serve. You can serve his agenda and not your own from a place of joy. So number two, the ruins of jealousy and selfish ambition. So James contrasts meekness and godly wisdom with jealousy and selfish ambition. The Greek word for jealousy is the word zealos. It's where we get the word zeal. And there can be positive meaning to the word zeal. As Jesus, he was zealous for the house of God, yet here James is speaking of the negative connotation of the word zeal, where it's completely selfishly motivated. It's defined as strong feelings of possessiveness and intolerance of rivals. So this isn't the first time in scripture that we see this form of jealousy, zeal, talked uh, about and confronted with the church, and Paul does the same thing. He addresses this destructive form of zeal in 2 Corinthians 12.20. And Paul says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling and jealousy, which is the word, same word, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. James goes on to say that we're not supposed to be boastful of our wisdom when our moral conduct, when our character is actually displaying jealousy or selfish ambition. Because they're completely opposing. True wisdom never comes from these kind of character traits that breed destruction. So if we have jealousy, if we have selfish ambition in our hearts, we're not to deny the truth of it. We're not to pretend that it's actually not there. Well, we boast of our wisdom, of our great understanding. The word for selfish ambition can be described, it's actually a difficult word in our language to, give, uh, to do a direct translation. And so for selfish ambition, what the picture that looks the most accurate would be described as a narrow, Partisan zeal of factional, greedy politicians. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed when I read that too. I was like, oh. So the display of these characteristics is from an earthly place. It's from an unspiritual place, which is actually soulish. Unspiritual means a soulish place from demonic sources. Where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And in essence, we have partnered with the demonic when we allow these traits to remain in our hearts and in our soul. You know, the result of one's character that's ruled by these dispositions is only going to result in destruction and division. 
The fruit will result in death. And I was reading an article this week that got me thinking these kind of thoughts about the message. We may even be people who strive, or not strive, who fight for life. But if we're a kind of people who are fighting for life but have the moral disposition of jealousy and selfish ambition, we are creating as much death as the life we're trying to save. I don't know if I said that right. But our conduct can bring about as much death and we don't even see it. And yet we're fighting and championing life. And yet our jealousy and our selfish ambition is destroying the people around us. And we are people of influence. Every single one of us are. People watch us. Did you know that people watch you? No matter who you are, people watch. And our selfish ambition, we may think it only touches the few around us, but depending on the level of our influence, it can touch regions and cities and nations in a destructive way, in a godless way. The origin of true wisdom is only found in God. It only comes from God. And it doesn't contain a zeal spurred on by selfishness. It's not egocentric. It's serving. It's the goal to serve servant leadership. True wisdom will be displayed by meekness, humility, and gentleness. If this stronghold remains in our lives, we've got to root it out by the power of God. And you might think, when we talk on this topic of jealousy and selfish ambition, well, I don't want it. Of course I don't want that. I don't want that to define who I am. I don't want to see that in my life. And yet, I want you to think with me. Why are strongholds at times so difficult to root out? It's because strongholds are actually a means to an end. Selfishness is a means to an end. My selfish ambition is a means to an end. It's rooted in unbelief towards God. And I will use it as a tool and a weapon to get me what I don't think God will give me. I will use it to get what I think I deserve. And so we want it. We actually want it to remain in our hearts and in our souls because it's serving us. And it's getting what we think we deserve. So God wants us to come into this place of satisfaction in him alone today. Because that is the antidote. That is going to be the power that roots out selfishness. Finding satisfaction in God. I want to give you an illustration today. What if God was about to hand out bars of gold? Cool. <laughs> and he came and he gave bars of gold to certain individuals. I know you're writing, but I'm going to give you one. <laughs> no, it's actually, I must explain, bear with my wimpy um, version of bars of gold. It's the best I can do on short notice. <laughs> but what if God were to begin to give certain individuals bars of gold? What would be your gut response? 
I want one. Why did they get one and I didn't? <laughs> it doesn't mean we can't desire, but when we begin to think ill will towards a brother or a sister because they got something, that's jealousy. I start judging the one who receives something because I think I deserve that more than they do. You see, jealousy will reveal itself when the only thing you can see, when I just give Marty a bar of gold and the only thing you can see is that the generosity given to him reveals your lack. It magnifies your lack. It magnifies your loss. It's jealousy. It's selfish ambition. Proverbs 14.30 says, Envy makes the bones rot. These kind of responses are soulish, they're demonic, they're full of selfish ambition. And it reveals that we have yet to come to that place of complete satisfaction in God. It reveals my unbelief about who he really is. Somehow I think he's failed me, I think he's misseeing me. I'm not happy with where God has me in life. I'm not happy with the gifts that he's given to me. And so I fight for what I think I deserve or what I want. But you know what? There's actually times in life that it's God's grace that he doesn't give you what you want. Because it will actually come to ruin when the self is still on the throne. And I, sometimes I can just hear him saying, like, lean in there. Going, you know, I actually really want to give you this. And I've just been waiting for you to realize that this is not about you. So that I can actually put it into your hand. Because it's about me and it's about my glory. So we've got to root out self. If we've been finding our value, sometimes we want something because we have yet to feel that we're actually valued. We've yet to feel that we've actually had people love us enough or give us enough attention. And sometimes he's not going to give us the place that we want because, say it's a position. I want this certain position and I've been wanting it and wanting it and wanting it. And sometimes he's not going to give it to me because maybe I've been thinking that position will finally give me value. If I finally get a platform, then I have value. You see, he's not going to give it to you because then that position or that platform becomes idolatry. Because it becomes what says you are valued or not. And he says, I've already said you're valued. I've already said I love you. There's nothing on this earth, no position, that can give you value, that can define you as my son or as my daughter. And when you come to understand that, there is no telling what he will do with your life. Because it will be led in humility, knowing it's not about me, it's about him. Are you satisfied in God alone? I have a memory verse for you this week. Psalm 22, 26. Repeat after me, Psalm 22, 26. The meek, it's really easy. The meek shall eat, the meek shall eat, 
and be satisfied. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. If I've learned to be satisfied in God, I'm going to rest and be thankful for the provision that he has given me, for the gifts that he has given me. When I'm satisfied in God, I can mentor someone along who has the same giftings as me, and I will rejoice and celebrate when they surpass what the Lord has done in my life. I won't mind if they shine more than I shine. When I'm satisfied in God, I can celebrate the increase in someone else's life. I can celebrate the increase in Margie's life. That was my Bible I hit. <laughs> I won't have to try and rush my destiny along because I know his timing is perfect. So I'm content in the waiting. Content in the waiting. The fruit of wisdom, number three. James concludes by sharing what wisdom does, the effects that it has, the fruit that it's going to bear. I'm going to read verse 17 and 18 again in closing. And then we're going to have Marty come up. We're having communion today. It's under your chairs, prepackaged. So then I will invite Marty up to lead us in that. Verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace amen